Coming up next on the Cultural Connections Podcast, we'll be discussing the growing footprint of adult education in Asia. We'll be joined by David Hui, CEO of Training Vision Company, and Aditya Borella, the Managing Director of Training Vision Institute Global Education Services. This episode is being recorded live on Thursday, June 24th, 2021. This is the Cultural Connections Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Brian Ives, and I am the producer and host of the Cultural Connections Podcast. Before I introduce our guests this evening, I want to remind all of our viewers that we are recording this episode live on Thursday, June 24th, 2021. This episode is being live streamed on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Therefore, we take live questions. So if you are watching on any of our platforms, please feel free during a live feed to ask your questions. For the first 15 minutes of the broadcast, we're going to be monitoring, I'll be monitoring our Facebook feed, followed by that will be Twitter, and we will end with our YouTube feed. With that being said, let me introduce you to our, tell you a little bit about our topic today, and then I'll introduce our guests. Today, we have a great, very interesting topic for you today, and that's going to be about education, specifically adult education, and its growing footprint in Asia. Joining me on the podcast today are two distinguished two distinguished guests, which are David Kui, CEO of Training Vision Company, and Aditya Barella, who is the Managing Director of Training Vision Global Education Services, India. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. That was a very positive, upbeat introduction of the topic. All right. So uh, without further ado, let's get right into our, our questions uh, here. And I guess we'll start off with, I'll start with you, David. Why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about your background, and then we'll do the same thing with you following that with you, Aditya. Sure. Yeah, I'm the founder and uh, CEO of Training Vision Institute Singapore. And of course, I have here Aditya Barella, my partner, as well as the managing director of Training Vision Global Education Service India. I'll let Adia introduce himself, but I guess uh, since our days when we were founded in 1991, we are celebrating our 30th anniversary this year, the Pearl anniversary they call. Uh, one of the things that mark why we came into this business really is about the aspect of which we believe that human capital you know, human potential, as we so look at it, uh, it's very, very key. And we are all geared towards the maximization of human potential. Uh, so that kind of dates back to the times when even as a young person growing up, I've always taken a keen uh, observation of people and you see their strength, you see their potential, but you also see and observe their limitations. And so that kind of triggered me towards the path of uh, how to maximize human potential, which I kind of like uh, under underscore by potential is over instances of time. Well, uh, performance is at one instance of time. So we like to hire people for performance. And I think that's uh, proper and uh, understandable from a corporate uh, investment perspective on talent, but potential is that when we hire 
we would spend time to take them further than when we were first hired because it's over instances of time. So our mission here since 1991 is to maximize human potential through applied knowledge because we think that education has to shift towards uh, the application side of things. Our best practice, we think that uh, change happens very fast. Uh, there are emerging aspects of educational model that we need to stay current. And then of course, innovative mindset, which we always try to nurture in the team of the people in this 30 years uh, of their journey. So for the first 13 years, we were in corporate uh, training, serving all the multinationals. Uh, to date, we have a network of about 700 companies. Uh, then since 2004, we got involved in the area of uh, what I call workforce development at a national level, uh, where we really looked into the view of developing the workforce for national, for industry, and for organizational competitiveness. So that's where I took the company into the aspect of uh, the B2C market, uh, coming from the first 13 years in the B2B corporate training consulting organizational development work that I did a lot uh, with the major companies like Apple, Computer, uh, like uh, Siemens, Motorola, and the likes of it. And then in 2012, we took the organization on to higher education. That means undergraduate, uh, bachelor degree, uh, postgraduate, masters, and we converged our training modules into stackable modular so that it earns credit into the pathway for higher education, bachelor completion, master's completion. And so that education in itself begins then to be uh, kind of like reframed, not just to be academic, but also to be very practice oriented and very practical. Uh, and that was 2012. And then it has since uh, continued on until where we are today. But if I were to look at myself in terms of the journeys that we have taken, I think there's been so much changes in terms of the aspect of uh, putting the ownership of uh, continued learning, education and training on companies to one where you're beginning to see learning individuals emerging. Uh, today, we have trained more than 120,000 so-called students and learners, uh, and ownership of that self-directed learning, and as well as uh, how learning is not a isolated piece from the competencies required to drive performance at the workforce. And so we are happy to see that, and how universities themselves globally, as well as the partners that we work with, are also recognizing that uh, the framework of education is really shifting, transforming, being innovated, even as we speak, so to speak. So that's basically the background of uh, what this 30 years of journey has been for me. Great. Well, thank you, David. Um, Aditya, I'll let you introduce yourself to our viewers uh, as well. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, David. Uh, first of all, what a wonderful uh, initiative uh, amidst these disruptive times. I think uh, the topic also, which is adult education, 
uh, and higher education is really at an inflection point everywhere. Uh, the future of work, future of education, all of this is uh, changing at, in an unprecedented manner. Uh, so let me introduce myself. Uh, I'm Aditya. I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of TVI Global Education, uh, along with David, uh, as just mentioned. My background is uh, academically, I've pursued uh, civil engineering and business administration, uh, wherein uh, I had the opportunity to work in the nonprofit sector internationally, taking me across uh, 15 countries very early into my career and uh, working with a few multilaterals, uh, including in a project which is a youth global employability report and, uh, and such projects uh, where uh, we also explored technology for education. Uh, so I was really passionate about uh, education quite early on into my career uh, as, 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 as David has this love for uh, you know, maximization of humankind's potential. I was also sort of inducted into that uh, by a lot of these social impact uh, initiatives that I was leading. And uh, sooner or later, uh, sooner than later, I looked at, uh, came back to India in 2018 and worked in government consulting with the Economic Development Board of the local government here. Uh, quickly became a sector lead and then observed how, uh, especially, you know, higher education skill development or workforce development can really be the catalyst or the, the fulcrum on which the economy can really shift and accelerate. So I had that vantage point where I could see how, you know, economy really thrives on capabilities and without the strategic capabilities, economies cannot transition and, and, and grow or flourish. And uh, after two years, a uh, few universities that I have uh, facilitated and, you know, a lot of other interesting work, fantastic work uh, with the team, of course, uh, I had the opportunity to operate a few higher education institutions in, uh, with a family office uh, in South India, where uh, we, I also witnessed the, the sort of the aging uh, policies. Uh, and luckily, last year in India, we had the national education policy after 34 years, uh, which was very refreshing. But we had the outdated systems of education still prevailing, and a lot of baggage, if I may, that is holding back. Uh, whereas India is being a country with the, with the largest, the youngest country, and uh, with the largest population, about 60% of its population between 15 and 60 years in the working age today. So for a double digit economic growth, we wanted India to be, you know, banking on its talent to, to shift from a basic uh, efficiency driven agriculture manufacturing, you know, kind of industry towards an innovation driven knowledge economy. And how do you create that? So I was really obsessed about that and worked on a youth policy briefing, worked on a few other ed tech policies, and really diverse established uh, rural incubators and also at a grassroots level uh, in suburban levels. I really observed the pain points, the systematic uh, you know, issues uh, that, 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 are, that are there. So all this got me passionate. And in 2019, I was in uh, Singapore studying public policy and governance where uh, David, I met him and we actually had a sat down. <laughs> we, 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 we met for a 30 minute meeting. We, it went to be a two hour meeting because we were surprisingly aligned on our vision and values. And 
when i heard about training vision i knew it instantly i knew it that this is a company that is ahead of its time and this is a company that is already implementing things that in india we're trying to like imagine and and do today uh, back in the day so so excited and that uh, led me one thing led to another we co-founded this global academy where it's sort of a multiversity where we work with the leading universities and curate uh, professional and postgraduate uh, development you know degrees uh, pathways in a very very interesting way and uh, i'll let uh, over to or back to you brian so that <laughs> so no all very very uh, interesting definitely before i go further i do want to remind all of our viewers watching that we're recording this live uh, this episode live here on thursday june 24th 2021 on facebook twitter and youtube and if you have questions from home that you would like to ask please feel free to add, uh, ask on the platform you're watching right now for the next 10 minutes or so we're going to be monitoring our facebook feed so if you have questions and you're watching via Facebook, feel free to write your questions through there. Again, from there, we'll be monitoring Twitter, then YouTube. Uh, but into my first question, so for the premises of this show, obviously we're going to be talking about adult higher education and its growing footprint in Asia, as alluded at the beginning. And what we're going to do for the beginning of the, of the show here right now is talk a little bit more about the past and talk about what what we saw before before we get into the present and then looking ahead what's next so i i guess let's start with the past here and either david or Adita, whoever whichever one wants to take this question of what when we talk about higher the starting to look at the, if we look at the growth of adult education in asia 10 years let's say five ten years ago do we do you believe that uh, where was it then compared where was the growth 10 years ago 5 10 years ago compared to where it is today and what was what what so far has been different between then and today Whoever wants Do you to want to take it first Adiya in terms of sure. India being a much bigger give you population <laughs> than uh, Singapore and uh, so uh, much change you know can talk about this, uh, Brian, from an India perspective. Of course, uh, I did spend some time in Asia. Uh, I did a cultural exchange in South Korea and was also visiting SUNY, State University of New York in Korea. Had a great time and, and really looked at the development of higher education in South Korea. I was really impressed, by the way. But I think just historically, to your question, uh, you know, India, just, just to give an analogy, right? The saying goes that uh, we have 20, 19th century assessments, 20th century curriculum for 21st century jobs. Okay. So that is the problem that India had was facing. Right. So it had really this traditional methods, which were outdated, not only uh, from a cultural point of view, but even from a, you know, scientific point of view, there were many ways for learning to happen more effectively uh, solving for that. There was, there were options to solve for the trifecta of issues of quality, accessibility, and affordability, right? So mm -hmm. this trifecta of issues has been a huge problem uh, for India. Uh, and I, I, I also presume many other emerging economies uh, in Asia and uh, countries like Singapore, countries like say uh, the far East uh, countries, or, uh, you know, uh, they have really 
uh, of course, developed and set a, a lot of models. Countries like India, what happened was that we adapted the Western education system, the, mainly the British college system of higher education and uh, also the vocational education uh, model was also tried out. The German model of vocational education was tried out. And I say this because we tried out in 1961, uh, there was a policy for apprenticeship act in India. Uh, recently, I, I heard about it. But again, in 2021, they're still talking about apprenticeships in India. So it's, it's a matter of, uh, I think, uh, to, of study that. And uh, I'm, I'm really curious. So I think the policy was great. But to, for a large country like India, with a you know, huge in, in diversity, uh, economic, social, behavioral, it's really hard for the policy to percolate, as they say, from a, in the three layers of governance and bureaucracy that it has. Right. So, you know, so historically, arts and science have also been bifurcated for some reason. You know, the education has, the, they, they took the utilitarian value of education. They said education has to be for earning. It has to give you some return on investment and has to give you some value. And then there were people on the other side of the fence the liberal arts people they said no education needs to be liberal it's got to be you know for the sake of learning it's got to be for human fulfillment uh, of course the broad consensus today thankfully is that let's go for steam which is a, a blend of an integration of interdisciplinary arts science education combined and that is what we at tvi we are we're really looking at is a holistic development of a global citizen. Uh, that's what we're really aiming for uh, with both the generic uh, competencies, the transferable skills, as well as the technical skills, uh, which allow the person to excel, wherein the transferable skills allow for career resilience uh, in, in today's uh, dynamic, volatile, uh, you know, careers that, are, that we're witnessing today. Very interesting to that, which I guess then that can tie then right down to the next question here, which we'll go uh, to David about the Training Vision Institute company here. And we, let's talk about looking back a similar situation here. Then if we take a look at the company and the, the work that your company has done over the last five, 10 years, what, where, where, where was it? Five, where was the company five, 10 years ago up to where we are today uh, in terms of growth? I think when I narrated the chronology in terms of uh, how we evolved from corporate training, consulting, organizational development into a nationwide kind of uh, workforce development, reaching out to the individuals to take ownership for their own continued learning, and then into higher learning where we integrated the training modules into stackable modular credits, you know, that gives you a picture of how the organization has uh, kind of uh, evolved. Um, but i like to pick on what Adia said about interdisciplinary, because uh, if you take the, let's say, let's say you take a discipline in the past, whether it's engineering or medical or for that matter, business, you know, as a discipline, as a center stage of what a person wraps himself around as, as a student in education, I would feel that uh, the stage is no longer the discipline. And even for that matter, when we talk about multidiscipline, 
is because, uh, and we all know that uh, basically the half time of kind of uh, skills, the half time of uh, kind of careers that keeps on changing, that even before a person graduates, you know, new jobs have emerged, the kind of thing, making redundant what he is learning in the three or four year in college. We all know about that, but yet at the same time, uh, multidiscipline, interdisciplinary is coming about so that you have to kind of like unlearn, learn and relearn. But even then, I don't think it is about multidiscipline either. I think the stage, which actually is what upholds education as we kind of like future forward, although it's a crystal ball that uh, we can't be absolutely precise, it's kind of like moving into that which is wrapped around the stage being the person. Mm -hmm. That means that person needs to be a meta-competency of being a learner and a lifelong learner for that matter. Uh, because if he hasn't got the meta-competency of learning, he will effectively become out of time, out of place, uh, irrelevant in the skill sets that he has, or simply unable to shift his paradigm of thinking as the uh, economy evolves. And even from a standpoint of uh, how each of the industry verticals are so uh, significantly and rapidly disrupted by digital, you know, and all these things therefore present to us that education must start from the core, which is the person. So the stage really is no longer the discipline, maybe even not the multidiscipline, but actually is evolving back to the person in that regard. Now, why I say that is because sometimes we tend to look at the form and we forget the substance. So in 2011, uh, when training in Singapore was still very much face-to-face -face and we were trying to translate into online learning, I was asked by the uh, education leaders uh, a question like, when will people be embracing uh, online learning? And I kind of like said that it will be reaching a tipping point at about 2015. And in 2015, indeed, uh, the tipping point came there was a lot more of uh, experiments in online learning, innovation of learning into the blended learning, which is online, on-site and things like that. But even then, as I kind of like uh, made that uh, little prediction uh, in 2011, the thoughts that I was having was that, when then will online learning, blended learning, and now being kind of disrupted by the pandemic, come to a place where it becomes like, the, the, the normal fee, that means the new normal to which learning is no longer just about uh, on-site, face-to-face or online, but learning is really holistic, integrative. Learning is going to be uh, constructivist as in learning by doing, and learning becomes a kind of like a collaborative effort between the individual, the corporation, the government, the employers, you know, it becomes almost like a, a universe and an ecosystem of learning. And I was trying to ask myself that question, trying to crystal ball again in terms of when will that happen? And really, I really feel that uh, the main aspect of materializing that reality is not going to be how much money that the government pours into funding training and all, as we are so fortunate in Singapore, 
or nor is it going to be a situation where it's going to be driven by certain big corporations that are investing a lot into their employees for the investment in training their employees. Because the unfortunate thing is that when you are big and you are a market leader, there tends to be a situation that you take a rear view mirror where based on your success, you tend to perpetuate what you've been successful on until disruption comes, which it will come even more frequently. And then you're not ready for enabling your people into their disruption and the new skill sets that are required, so to speak. But truly self-directed learning, where learning comes from the person at the core and he understands himself as a learning individual, you know, is where the power of one, that means change starts from the power of one. And I really feel like one of my friends uh, who kind of made the statement, he said that if the change outside is faster than the change inside, whether it is in terms of the policy makers of education or whether it's in terms of the corporate leaders, you know, or even uh, NGOs and so on, if change outside is faster than the change that's happening inside, the end is near. And uh, maybe that will be the only way where there comes to a grinding halt of everything that education is so used to in the past, which is hindsight, you know, it comes to a grinding halt, that then we'll be able to begin to embrace new insights in the present of where we are. The present is the insight if we learn from the hindsight. And only then will we begin to see the emergence and the beginning of foresight where we begin to recreate new models, new thinking of education for the future. And it is a collaborative effort um, across multiple stakeholders and not so much as a singular effort or endeavor by any one stakeholder, but it starts from the inside out. The individual himself needs to be a individual learner, uh, one that is basically a self-directed learner who takes ownership for his own growth and development. Absolutely. No, very, very, very interesting there. And um, you actually started to touch upon where we're going to go into next. But before I do that, I do want to remind all of our viewers that are watching from home today that, we, that are watching. Uh, we are recording this episode live on Thursday, June 24th, 2021. We are live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you are watching via Twitter right now and you have questions from home, feel free to ask your questions. We are currently monitoring the Twitter feed at the present time. Uh, with that being said, our topic, as a reminder, is on the growth of adult education in Asia. Uh, so let's get now into present day. And when we look at, we can talk about I mean, the fact of growth in is into present day, but it, at present day as we know it, and we're I think at least here in the, the states, we're slowly starting to come out of it. We faced an unprecedented global pandemic that has impacted everyone worldwide. In terms of growth, how what has been the biggest challenge in present day uh, with uh, between both growth of training vision and then both of, then as well as growth of adult education in Asia with a pandemic that has played um, a role, obviously, in an unprecedented time for everyone worldwide. When, when the pandemic happened, we were suddenly uh, pushed into a situation where we had to go almost like uh, 
99% online, you know, in terms of our learning uh, and the courses that we were running. Uh, the scale of uh, the classes that were running went up significantly, almost like uh, starting about 30 new intakes a day, uh, maybe at any one time concurrently running 60 uh, classes. Uh, but we had to do all this online. So suddenly overnight, we had to quickly build up our infrastructure. We have to be able to onboard and induct our faculty to be able to know how to do uh, e-facilitation. You know, while it may sound like uh, online is just on Zoom kind of thing, but you definitely cannot uh, have a situation where you have people on a Zoom for six hours a day. Uh, despite the fact it's synchronously facilitated. So we have to effectively get our curriculum team uh, to begin to build very quickly blended learning, asynchronous learning artifacts. We have to be able to train our faculty in terms of uh, how to facilitate synchronous kind of learning. Uh, but that all drove us at an accelerated pace to think about the opportunity that is now being uh, offered to all educational institutions to reach a global audience, a global reach with high quality content, but yet very, very innovative learning design. So part of what we are looking forward in the future, and maybe we can talk about that later when you ask your future question, sure. is what I call transnational uh, or translocal, depending on whether you're looking into India as translocal across all the states or transnational as in across different countries, you know, ASEAN, China, India, which is a very huge uh, Asia-Pac kind of economy where you are able to reach uh, students translocally at scale, but with very, very uh, high impact and high quality, immersive, uh, higher learning. When I say immersive, I'm talking about the use of a multi-variety of uh, learning uh, methodologies like VR, AR, uh, adaptive learning, uh, learning analytics, you know, and particularly also being able to blend in project-based learning with internships. Uh, and coaching and mentoring to support it as well. So there is so much uh, that can be now innovated on. There's so much more larger reach that one can reach in a global uh, so-called uh, reach for students cross-nationally uh, and cross-culturally as well. Uh, the richness that you will bring to the class when you have students from India, from uh, Indonesia from Malaysia, you know, attending the same program uh, will certainly bring it to a very interesting level of the exchanges that can happen when you have such a uh, cross-national, uh, multinational group of students. These are things that are really now in the in the cooking, so to speak. We are not ready yet to roll it out with that level of scale quality, but that is something that uh, we definitely envision, uh, triggered by the pandemic and how it pushes forward to really rethink 
our own model of education and our own model of uh, growing the business. Great, no, very interesting there. Um, and I, I guess that can tie into then my next uh, question here is that we you talk about obviously the impact of the pandemic, but let, let, let's talk about then in present day then the challenges that are faced with this growth and what kind of challenges, uh, what is the biggest impact, the biggest challenges that are being faced present day with this growth? Sure, uh, uh, Brian, I just want to add to David sure. in terms Go of, uh, just to set the context uh, of what is the challenge. Uh, of course, the world has gone through this crisis. Asia is the largest uh, continent with the largest populace, also the youngest demographics and uh, fast growing consumer uh, driven economies, right? And if you look at uh, India or countries such as India, uh, if I may, the, the disparity is a major issue, right? In terms of, uh, you know, to start with, of course, for higher education institutions or professional development institutions, uh, the overnight shift to digital uh, probably wiped out uh, quite a few institutions. And uh, those which survive uh, were the ones who were resilient, who were the ones who already had innovation in their DNA to some level. But when you really look at the how learning learning happens and how it really works out, Number one is taking example of India, only 36% of Indian population have access to an internet, a high-speed internet and a device, even till today, right? And they say that, you know, a decade of sustainable development, if you look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals has been reversed by the pandemic. Unfortunately, there's a lot of, uh, you know, job loss, especially the second wave again uh, this year. You know, although the, the the tech companies and the technology continues to drive growth, but also give a ray of hope uh, for these economies. So one is the infrastructure and the sort of the geographic and the demographic uh, vastness being a challenge uh, in Asia in bringing education to the last mile, even if we make it asynchronous, as David oh. mentioned, right? Then the other challenge that is also there is the uh, the self-directed learning, right? So let me just dwell on it a second where David mentioned innovative learning design. Now, why that is important? It is so important. Learning how it happens is completely transformed today. I think if any organization is doing adult education, adult learning the same way they were doing before the pandemic, I think they really, really have to rethink their, their, their approach. Uh, what we are observing is that uh, bite-sized learning or the short boot camps and a lot of these short crash courses, master classes, which come on, right? Um, they are good. They're sort of, uh, if I take an analogy, they're like the painkiller approach to learning, right? There's a certain utility that is needed, a certain pain point, and these kind of courses solve that pain. And they take, you know, most of these, uh, you know, consumers jump at this, this, this kind of painkiller approach. That is one, one issue, whereas the vitamins are missing, right? The, the depth and the breadth of knowledge and skills that are required for certain job function. For example, if you uh, go to an ophthalmologist 
or if you want to consult a civil engineer for your house and you ask the person where did they learn the civil engineering and they say i did a crash course or i did a boot camp you know <laughs> at this 3 uh, hour training program uh, over the weekend i think you're you're going to be uh, kind of worried and anxious right so 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 what but i'm not discounting the power of micro learning and bite sized learning we still use that it has its place but it is not here to replace higher education i think we've we've studied it uh, I, and you know a lot of people say things for their uh, media whatever but at the other other side of it is self directed learning is not easy because not everyone has that meta competency that david mentioned right uh, we had 4600 students in the colleges that i was operating we put out uh, moocs which were i won't name the large company which does moocs we it offered a lot of moocs for free of cost and only out of 4600 people who were who had access to a lot of moocs free of cost free certifications right guess how many people actually took those courses oh boy no i can't imagine many eight people eight wow yeah so it's that the learning to learn is a hugely missing and you know people are unaware about career paths and the career awareness is missing right uh, but also they are unaware about how to direct their learning how to plan their personal learning plan if if there there is one or personal development plan and then how do you really go have that self management and personal discipline to continue and in complete a particular uh capability development competency development for themselves right so so this is uh, missing and and here in comes the absolute need and it's a burning need for online or hybrid learning which is e learning asynchronous e learning but also synchronous learning but not just sort of lecturing but really project based learning coaching and mentoring and peer to peer learning participative learning these are the things that really go together and give you a rich almost i won't say like a campus experience but almost like a non campus experience and i think these are the challenges infrastructure uh, you know uh, career awareness and you know you know self direction itself is an issue and and i think the third one would be a lot of distractions and mental health and wellness but that's 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 another thing to talk about where Uh, again a lot of corporates are focusing on wellness and mental health that's that's a different story but these are major challenges that hurt learning wherein would you as a young person pick uh, to learn a coursera uh, course or a edx course or whatever course that you do or you have access to netflix right or you have access to hundreds of things right so how do you stay focused how do you stay committed you know exactly. so this is another major challenge Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let me chime in here. I think uh, there is concern among educators about uh, the generation right now takes learning like a snack, you know, and then because it's like bite-sized, it's like a snack. You take a bite of it rather than a whole meal. And of course, the concern then is that does the snack really give a wholesome nutritional value? That sort of thing. So that seems to be like. Uh, a kind of like a polarization that means uh, snacks are for snacks uh, education is for education and therefore never the twin shall meet but let me introduce this th- thinking here that 
The disaggregation of learning into bite size is really enabling the eventual integration of learning. So let me just explain. Because when you look at learning just in time, that means, or just in time as in you need to perform something, you're interested to pick up a certain learning on something, learning motivation becomes a lot more higher, either for utilitarian purpose or for an interest purpose. But then the problem is that we do not organize the bytes into a kind of like a block, and then the block into a learning unit, and the learning unit into a module, and the module into credits for multiple modules. So that's why we, at Singapore, we talk about modular stackable, but if you really want to take into view the learning in the corporate level, because here we are really talking about individuals taking up education on their own accord, and Singapore has done a lot of help here by even funding individuals uh, for taking up learning. But what about the corporation? Corporation are played by business priorities, time-wise, you know, the relevance of sending their employees out for a three-day workshop and whether they are really going to be able to apply back whatever they learn back into the organization unless you structure a project that is accompanying the workshop. But however, everyone needs to learn every day, every second that they are on the job. And sometimes the just-in-time learning is the only way to learn. So when you have a bike that leads to a block, leads to a unit, leads to a module, the module that stacks up to other modules, then the integration of learning happens. So what I mean by the disaggregation of learning in order to land towards the eventual integration of learning is where educators must start thinking in that light and where when educators start thinking in that light, then they will begin to be able to have a fair chance of being able to redesign learning to an extent where it meets the needs of the learner who is self-directed anytime, any place, anywhere. But yet at the same time, they can also educate the learner as in the universe of uh, learners that there is more integration to your path than just the little bite that you have taken in that regard. And I think it is that kind of uh, education of both the educators and the people who are being educated that needs to be done for them to be able to embrace a new paradigm of uh, this integration of learning that lends to uh, eventual integration. Absolutely. No, very interesting. They're definitely a, a and agree with you on that. Um, within, so we're going to move over to our last part of the show today, which is talking about the future. But before we do that, I want to remind our viewers within the last few minutes that we have here that we are recording this episode live on Thursday, June 24th, 2021. We're recording this episode live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and we are discussing the growth of adult education in Asia. And we're going to now dive into looking ahead, what, what's next and um, for the future and looking ahead, what, what can we expect to see in the growth? What do you both see for the future of growing both uh, training vision and then the growth of both uh, just in general adult education for Asia in general? Where do we see it going down the road from here, let's say 10 years even from now? My very pragmatic uh, response to that is that business cycles will go up and down 
Towel innovation cycles. That means you innovate on a product and that product reaches its maturity. You got to basically create the next product, the next growth curve. So when you look at it from a pragmatic business perspective, we have to embrace the fluctuations of uh, the education as a business. And I think it's never been so real as what we are seeing now with the pandemic and even with uh, universities and campuses from across the globe, you know, where the student numbers and all presents itself as a, as a big challenge in right. that regard. And they got to start to create new markets, think of new uh, ways of delivery. Uh, so this is just part and parcel of the fluctuation of a business that one has to manage. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in a stable environment, educators probably will just continue to do what they have done well and keep the journey, so to speak. But in a disruptive environment, it does present a lot of challenge because while you're focused on educating, yet at the same time, you now have to think about the business side of the equation of how to keep the business kind of scalable, growing, and so on. That is the very pragmatic view of uh, the future. But from a philosophical standpoint, which has to be the reason for being for any kind of education business, is what we kind of uh, state as an overarching statement, you know, to live, to learn, and to make a difference. So when we embrace that, we see learning as a lifelong thing, that to live is to learn, and to learn is to live. So that this too, if we take it from a philosophical standpoint, when you cease to do one, you actually cease to do the other as well. I mean, it seems so radical as if that if you stop learning, you start to die kind of thing. Right. Uh, but it's so true because you get disconnected. Absolutely. You begin to feel that you're no longer intellectually engaged. Your aspect of your social skills are no longer able to connect across the four generations that are now existing in the workforce at any one time. And then you feel displaced and all. And that leads to a kind of a, a diminishing return of your value at the same time also of your own self-worth and dignity. So we see a movement towards the lifelong learning and that this movement is where everyone everywhere at any point in time begin to see that learning is so important and that to live is to learn and to make a difference. Absolutely. And that is the kind of movement that I really resonate with for the way forward in the future. Just to uh, add to what David has mentioned, uh, definitely the way that we uh, learn, the way that we earn, the way that we perform are all transforming. Learning mm. and earning and performing are transforming. And uh, to add to the lifelong learning concept, uh, I foresee that now just talking about Asia also is that there would be an Asia dream, right? I mean, uh, I really am fascinated by this idea that uh, until so far we had the, I don't know, the American dream or the, the, the UK dream. Uh, by 2040, Asia is going to be uh, contributing half of the global GDP. Uh, and it's still going to be the youngest uh, continent on the planet. And uh, if the progress that we are garnering now continues to stay it will be at some of the highest literacy levels it will be a really a thriving knowledge society 
and mm. intracontinental uh, exchange of uh, goods exchange of services and more importantly knowledge is going to uh, flourish and uh, of course uh, without the chal- with definitely the challenges right so how do we create uh, uh, and how do we shape the leaders uh, for asia right so i think that's where training vision is really working towards and uh, that's what is the motto to learn live and the other trends are also like like the learning is being disintegrated or unbundled and eventually to become bundled uh, in the right way by uh, and it should be carefully done so it cannot be haphazardly done so and uh, similarly i see that uh, how we uh, earn money or how we perform is also i feel like that's going to be dis- disaggregated we already have 77 million people around the planet who are in the gig economy or freelance economy people within companies are multi teaming they are already cross functional or people who are independent freelancers are working with multiple organizations and they are they are having multiple jobs at the same time and uh, you know the one one skill one career as david says right as david says is going to go away so so i agree with david there and you know this is uh this is the future of work is rapidly changing and um, but for good the good news is that at least there's a broader awakening amongst at least india's uh, uh educational reforms as we are to see that uh, there's a this this integration of arts and science there's this integration of skills and knowledge uh that's happening and there's this integration of industry and academia so that's that's going to be that these poles are actually meeting and converging and we we see that there's going to be very innovative uh programs in the future and we are already curating them but i think there are going to be very inter- in innovative hybrid uh bachelors hybrid you know postgraduate programs uh transdisciplinary programs that are going to come up and uh, we are excited because we're curating them great yeah that's a, a great way to uh uh to start to wrap up on the amazing how fast a 40 minute podcast can go by just like that and i want to thank uh you thank the both of you thank you david and aditya for joining me on the podcast today i want to uh, remind our viewers that all of our episodes are available uh besides here on facebook twitter and youtube we have them available on listening platforms such as apple podcast google podcast spotify or wherever your favorite podcasting platform is you may able to listen to this podcast as well as on instagram so be sure to check us out on all of our platforms if you have questions or comments about what you saw on today's show or have a question that you did not get to ask and it's and during the live broadcast and you'd like to ask it you can email me directly and i will get the question over to our guests here today and i will make sure to get the answer for you you can email me directly at brianives@gmail.com that's b r i a n i v e s@gmail.com uh if you have suggestions for future shows you can also get in touch with me as well well again thank you both for joining me today and we will see everyone again on our next episode of the cultural connections podcast i'm brian ives and i am the producer and the host of the cultural connections podcast thank you both again Thank you. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of the Cultural Connections podcast. To learn more about this episode, be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also listen to this podcast in its entirety on listening platforms Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Radio Public, 
new TV, and many more of your favorite podcasting platforms. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of the Cultural Connections Podcast.